Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. I am so excited about today's episode because we're really going to be able to finally have a conversation about infusing more equity and creating more space for individuals and families who are impacted by paralysis. And so joining me today is Jamil Payton. He is the Racial and Health Equity Manager at the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation. Jamil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you know, I feel like before we can actually get into the work that you're doing, tell us a bit more about your background uh, and background on the foundation, just so we can really orient our listeners. Absolutely. So for me, I'm a person that's a mixed bag. I always tell people that. Why? Because I started my career working in the neurodivergent community. And Mm -hmm. from there, I moved into um, higher education, working as a professor for... um, Organized professor teaching social science in general. And then from there, moving around and just working as an advocate in various communities. I moved around the Northeast quite a bit. Um, I lived in Pennsylvania. Um, I lived in Boston, worked in Cambridge. So I was just all over the Northeast. <laughs> um, as a professor, I was able to talk to so many different people, so many different communities, and really learn the information that I was teaching. And so coming to Reeve, they really, really, really was working hard to find ways to just provide more information, comprehensive information to various communities, the BIPOC community specifically. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I came into the picture, right? Um, I specifically did not work in the community of paralysis and spinal cord injuries. I worked more just holistically overall. So with that, you know, me coming on and working with them, it was a really great learning experience on my end, but mm-hmm. it was even better to work with this organization to help them find their way into communities they never even considered in some aspects. Um, not just being there and working with, let's say, the Black community and just helping them out. It was more around finding a way to work alongside the Black community to assist them when they need the assistance. And if I may, understanding them better, relating to them in a way yes. that never before they were able to. Yes, right? yes not co-oxing the, the, the issue, right, or the, the mm-hmm. mission. Even with our Latin community, trying to work around that and say, hey, how can we work with each community? Because the biggest thing to realize is that each community is different. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about countries, locations, culture, all of that matters when you're trying to support a community of color in general. So yeah, working with Reeve has been just amazing to do that. I'll give you this view, right? I love doing this. This is important because our organization is dedicated to curing spinal cord injuries and advancing innovative research and improving quality of life for individuals and families impacted by paralysis. Our organization advocates for those living with spinal cord injuries every day by providing free resources nationwide, quality of life grants for nonprofits, family support programs, and more. The important thing that I think a lot of your listeners may not be aware of mm-hmm. is that not just we have the REAP organization that many people know of with Superman, but we also have the marriage of Dana, this late, late wife, 
who really worked to have us create a care component, which is our National Paralysis Resource Center. Okay. And this is the one and only center that offers free comprehensive services to the paralysis community. We receive $8.7 million of funding from the federal government. And that is all to ensure that everyone has the opportunity to receive care and resources. I love this. I love this mostly because, um, well, number one, you've kind of talked about basically some intersectionality in here, right? And so yes, understanding absolutely. that there's more to an individual uh, than their paralysis. Uh, you know, there's, of course, there's going to be race and ethnicity that plays into that. And the level of care uh, and the equity in that the care that they receive is extremely important for us to understand. But uh, just kind of as a base level, um, the work that you're doing there, it's giving uh, everyone at least some level of representation. They're feeling seen. Uh, and so we talk about different dimensions of diversity on this podcast, and 26% of the U.S. population is living with a disability, which I find staggering uh, because I, I'm assuming it's because oftentimes they're not disclosed, right? And so not all of them are salient, so we don't necessarily know. But representation just remains low. Representation in media, uh, films, TV, you name it, uh, people being comfortable enough to disclose that. And then also, of course, those spaces that can have those individuals on those platforms, whether they are comfortable then enough to go that far in, in their uh, display of diversity. So can you talk a bit about the importance of representation of you know, individuals, individuals who are impacted by paralysis in the media or, or in workspaces, et cetera, and kind of the impact that that has on society and the individuals? Absolutely. I will tell you that prior to working for Reed, and I must admit, I, I'm an able-bodied individual. And mm -hmm. I remiss, I always do this because I get so excited. I want to describe myself, right? So I have to do that. I, I just, I, for some reason, I just get so excited that I forget my whole constituency of members that may want to know what I look like. And, and it's not much, trust me. Um, <laughs> I, am, I am a darker hue um, male who is wearing a reddish color shirt with varied textures and I wear glasses. If you can imagine, they're black, plastic, and I usually say the professoral glasses that I cannot let go of. Um, I have bald <laughs> head, so no hair. He has, he has <laughs> stolen my stolen my <laughs> hairstyle, by the way. <laughs> I am, I call myself more of a mature millennial. <laughs> so I remember growing up, going outside with the street lights, but I also recognize the times of living with um, internet. So I, I have to say that, right? And, and the reason I do that is because that's the representation of recognizing individuals and trying your best to hmm. ensure that in every aspect of life, you let someone know that there are others out there and they need to be recognized. Representation is so key. As a man of color, a black man specifically, it's always important to see yourself in various stages of life. Agreed. It's always important to see a person can succeed in what they do despite any challenges that may be in front of others. When we talk about the paralysis and spinal cord injury community in general, it's something that we just overlook in our able-bodied society. We don't pay attention to it. I moved to New England. And while I was living in New England, I said, man, there's so many hills here. 
wow with so much cobblestones. And I'm not picking on New England. I actually love New England. But it's, it's, it's a scenario where you start to think differently. And you start realizing you need to be a part of those zoning committees, those board committees to really reimagine how society could be if it was truly inclusive. Hey, I'm, I'm going to do a little shameless plug. Sorry to do it, but okay. sorry. We have, a, we have tons of webinars, one where we talk to people in Detroit, where we talk about inclusive housing and the importance of doing that in your neighborhood, where people are so excited about these new facilities being built, but not really talking to people that would need to use these facilities mm -hmm. that are wheelchair users or right. other devices. So I hope I answered your question and gave you that, that insight. Well, you did. I mean, and so the, the piece really here for us to, to think about is, you know, there's a, there's a much broader lens that, uh, through which we have to be able to imagine our spaces. Uh, yeah. And so, yes, making them more comfortable. And I'm talking about just the identities that you've given, right? Making mm -hmm. spaces more comfortable for people of color. Okay, we see people working on that. You know, we see um, very public commitments to that. We see um, uh, people being hired simply to to create those spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can get even more and more granular. But when you start to talk about um, uh, the community that identifies with a disability, and that list is even longer, right? We can double click on that, and we can kind of you know branch out from there. But to your point, in making sure that in all that we do, uh, that we are being inclusive, uh, and that we are at least being mindful of, um, that's at least a first step. But mm -hmm. as a prequel to that, though, yeah. you've got to be able to understand that there are some preconceived stereotypes. They were shaped by likely a lack of representation, right? Um, shaped by, you know, some of the ways in which um, things were not so politically correct on television. You know, you talk about being a mature millennial, we're, but we're <laughs> driving the same speed, right? Nope. But we can, nope. we can definitely remember a day when, you know, there were some very off-color jokes, things that were, you know, a bit more socially acceptable that are absolutely not, um, you know, current day. So that forms certain biases, certain stereotypes, and people believe that because someone has a disability that they are then not able and not able to take this job. You are not able to perform at this particular level. It, you understand this. Clearly, I'm sure the foundation understands this. How then can we, we as employers, we as in a community that wants to make sure that we are being effective allies, how can we challenge and then hopefully be able to, to change or at least mitigate some of these stereotypes? I love that question. I love that question because it's a it's a real question. And I always pose it back to people that are considering themselves as an ally. Mm -hmm. Ally is someone that works alongside someone else and extends privilege. A privilege is such a key component here when we talk about representation, because the question is, yes, like you just said, you can get in the door, but like, what do you do if you came and fit through the door? What, what do you do when you talk to a person they say, and they have on that job description, must be able to carry 50 pounds. And mm -hmm. then you ask yourself, in reality, have I ever carried 50 pounds? <laughs> absolutely not. Exactly. Absolutely not. So it, it, it's not that much copy paper in the copy absolutely. machine. <laughs> so, and, and, and then honestly, that's the things that when we talk about how do we start, it's just looking at the simplistic things that's not very simplistic. So having a true understanding of what is our goal here? Should we reshape our mind? Yes, we're all biased in some ways. As you said, we grew up uh -huh. learning how to be biased. I mean, watching 
Saturday morning cartoons, as much as we love them, when you rewatch them as an adult, especially an informed in the adult, you look back and say, oh my goodness, how mm-hmm. did that get across? <laughs> so you start to say to yourself, okay, yes, even I'm biased in some ways. Even I have discriminatory practices. So how do I start unlearning this stuff? How do I start to tell others about it? And that's where that privilege come in and the allyship come in. Because some performative, keyword here, performative Ooh. allies forget that allyship is working harder than the person that's enduring because you have the privilege to walk away or move away if you wish. That's the importance. So if you ask me, right, you ask me that question, I'm giving you the answer. It starts with unlearning that bias, recognizing we have bias. Stop yourself in the middle of those thoughts. But that takes a lot of training, as I would say to others. Get the training. Talk to people like myself. I am always available to talk. I'm always available to help. And the people that are certified are always available to have these conversations. It's not hard to find us. You have this podcast. I have the programs that we develop at our organization. And then you have others on YouTube that just creates their whole life around talking about representation and starting how we get into spaces, how you do this. You talked earlier about... um the the magnitude of the resources that the foundation provides um and i can only assume but but this is my question to you are those resources limited to individuals who are a part of this community you know who are identifying with a disability or are there some resources that are available to employers uh to people in the academic setting to people who are uh creating you know the, the housing opportunities etc to be able to understand better uh people in this community and then how you can of course make your space is more accessible. I love that. And I know the listeners can't see me pointing at you saying, yes, you must have read <laughs> some things I posted on LinkedIn. <laughs> but yes, our material is available to everyone because it's not just one person that's affected. Right. It's a community that's affected, right? If you are going through your cycle once you have an injury, it's not just you, it's your parents, it's your significant others, it's your friends, it's your employer, everyone is involved. So I'll say this, we have tons of material on our website, that material will help you to really start to at least cultivate your questions. That's the important next step, because we don't have the terminology, the vernacular understanding to really, really ask the best questions when we had these moments, right? You are very well trained. You know exactly what you want to ask, but to the lay person, they may not know. Um, so it's important to have that terminology, those terms in your head, right? So when it comes to outside community members, that's not living, breathing every day, the paralysis, spinal cord injury world, they're like, I just don't know what to say. I don't know where to start. Well, contact our information specialists and they are there to help support you on your journey of becoming more inclusive and accessible for all to be a part of whatever community institution you are involved in, whether it's housing, whether it's education, which we did have another book, higher education uh, webinar, where we talked to different institutions and students who successfully navigated higher education. And they talked about some of their challenges and successes to show that this is doable. This is more than doable. Try as we might, though, Jamil, I, I feel as if 
again, significant strides have been made around racial and ethnic lines, gender lines, sexual orientation, LGBT status. Uh, and we are, we are now placing a greater emphasis uh, on, on the, uh, the, um, uh, the disability community. And so, uh, you know, neurodiversity, uh, you know, all of the above, there has to be some level of upset uh, that I'm sure people experience because you navigate spaces um, that are just not that inclusive. They they claim to be inclusive, but they're not inclusive for everyone, right? And when you get, you know, to these different uh, dimensions of diversity, it's like, but but what about us? To your point, you know, when you're talking about making sure that for your listeners, you know, that you are describing how what you look like and you know what your background is and all of that, so that everyone, of course, um, you know, feels as if they are included and in that and that you you made this space one where they belong. How do you can how do you continue to motivate? inspire uh, some level of optimism in uh, the individuals who come to the foundation and are, you know, very much so um, taking advantage of the resources that you give, but there has to be some level of, I guess, uh, coaching uh, or, or inspiration that you can give um, to ensure that even when met with some challenges, that people persevere. How do you do that? Oh, man, I do that every day because, um, even as a black man, here we go back to the intersectionality. Even as a black man, I see, I did not think in my lifetime that I would ever see a black president, let alone a black female president that came from an HBCU. I'm gonna say she that just, she didn't just come from an HBCU, she came oh, from I'm sorry, the I'm sorry. HBCU. <laughs> Let's not forget which show we're on. Well, we can well, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm we won't sorry. digress, we won't digress. <laughs> <laughs> that's the but that's the conversation that you can have. And when it comes to paralysis and spinal cord injuries, once you start to learn that there has been progress made, and you see that, yes, in some cases is not where you would like. Oh man transportation. I don't have to worry about transportation when I travel. Oh, I can't, I can't put that emphasis on it. And not enough is done. We complain, myself, maybe even you, complain when we go on a plane. Mm -hmm. We say, these seats are so tiny. Yep. They're getting tinier and tinier. We're not even worried about how we're going to get board the plane. I recently traveled with my mother who requires a wheelchair when mm. she is traveling through the airport. And while we were sitting there waiting for the air, the, um, the gate agent to uh, have the wheelchair person bring the chair for my mother, you had someone else who is a wheelchair user roll up and they basically was like, hey, I'm here. I just need someone to help me get on the plane. This person, extremely independent, able to do it, never met her before. And she was able to, you know, really navigate the whole situation, but she still required support mm -hmm. that may or may not be competent enough to support her. And so I look back at these moments and say, well, you know, if the people that I work with, the people that I've met in the community is able to push through and keep moving forward. But who am I to say I'm frustrated and I'm ready to give up? Goes back to the allyship and I'm not a performative person. So I'm in the trenches with them and I'm making sure that I speak up whenever I see a moment that I can. And I ensure that even when I'm down, I'm not down for them because I'm encouraging as best as I can. It's tiring, <laughs> but well, I, I ensure. 
Well, but this entire this entire work that we do uh, in, in moving the needle on diversity, equity, and inclusion yes. can can be tiring. Uh, but uh, if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. And uh, we have to exactly. challenge these spaces uh, in order to be able to change them. Um, and but what I can also add to you, I know that you mentioned that uh, people should use, of course, their privilege uh, in order to affect some type of change and to become a real ally. But you also need to use your power. Uh, you need to use your positions. And so, you know, I then related back to the workplace. And so if you do have that seat at the table, you do have a voice, you're able to then put this into policy. You're able to put this into your plans as you expand, you know, your, your workspaces and your, you look at your real estate or you look at the accessibility of your, your buildings or your restrooms, et cetera. Uh, yeah. Again, thinking about maybe not even the employees that you have today, but the employees who may come tomorrow. Um, before we close up, Please do tell me how the listeners can get involved, how they can support the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation. Oh, please just go to our website, navigate our website, find me, Jamil Payton on LinkedIn, find our members, find anyone that's connected to the organization. And I say that because social media, we try our best to be as active and out there. We have events that we attend. We try to post as much information as possible on our website so that if you want to be a part or want to donate, donate your time, donate finances, donate resources, please, 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 please reach out to us. ChristopherReeves.org is our website address, web address. Um, you can check, find us on social media, Instagram. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and we are LinkedIn. And I, I say that with whole heart, like everyone that you will come across from the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation as a whole. It's always ready to support and help. Jamil Payton, thank you so okay. much for the work that you do. Uh, thank you so much for the work that the foundation does. And I hope that this inspires uh, a level of community around uh, the individuals that you work with in order so that we can make all of our spaces and our communities a bit more inclusive of them. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now it's time for DEI Today, where we discuss current headlines and their corresponding impacts on DNI initiatives across the nation. I'm here today with Shauna Williams. Shauna, you're in Philadelphia. And so I know that you cannot be a Philadelphian uh, without remembering, of course, the big incidents that happened with Starbucks. And we had mm -hmm. the, the, the two black gentlemen who were, I believe it was what, trying to use the restroom. It was either that or they were, they were sitting and didn't order food in a timely manner. Right, right. And jurors in a six-day trial uh, in federal court determined that the regional manager of Starbucks, who is white, uh, uh, was fired uh, because the company needed a scapegoat as it faced a public relations crisis over that racially um, uh, charged incident. Uh, back in 2018, uh, I believe the facts were that Starbucks came under heavy criticism after a manager at a Philadelphia location called the police to report those two men who were sitting down at the cafe, you're right, without mm -hmm. ordering anything. And so Starbucks claimed that the manager was fired for being ineffective and absent in the period after the arrest. But jurors heard testimony from a Black Starbucks manager who was the supervisor of the employee who called 911. And he testified that the white manager, who was his boss, was fired because of her race and he and he was safe because of his so yeah this was one of those reverse discrimination cases and there was a 25.6 million dollar verdict cannot believe it also the starbucks <laughs> those men who were the victims of, in all of this they decided what was that they decided not to sue or they like they settled for a dollar 
a dollar. So like about the money that you just said, Starbucks, do better. Everybody do better. That's all we wanted. And to find out that she wins how much again? $25.6 million. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They always say that, you know, when people go low, you go high, but wow. Shauna, it has been 60 years since former president John, John F. Kennedy signed the uh, EPA, the Equal Pay Act, which explicitly bans uh, pay discrimination based on sex. Uh, but despite the Equal Pay Act's long history, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported recently that women still are earning only about uh, an average of 83 cents for every dollar that a man uh, makes, with the gap even wider for women of color. Uh, 60 years after that legislation, and we still haven't closed that gap. Are, are you optimistic at all? Do you think we'll get there? I have to be optimistic because I'm in this field for a reason. You know, it's by nature. We are optimistic. We're, we're pushing for change. Um, yeah. I, th I hope that this is still a clarion call, you know, for people who do work in this space or for people who are uh, leaders in any workplace, you know, irrespective of the industry. Uh, this is the time for you to initiate a pay equity audit. This is the time for you to find out if you've got some of those gaps, some of those small gaps, you know, someone is earning, you know, just 10 cents more, you know, someone who is just earning 2% uh, more close those gaps before you get these huge gaps that persist uh, and, and specifically make sure that you are looking at, at women overall uh, and even some of those intersectional identities like women of color and ensuring that they are very much so being um, uh, paid equitably. A law firm fired a senior associate um, uh, less than a week after she submitted a request to go on maternity leave. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, the firm told the attorney that she was fired for performance issues, but the attorney claimed she received three raises and a six-figure bonus uh, during her time at the firm. So she was like, what issues? Uh, so there is a lawsuit uh, against the law firm uh, for, for firing that pregnant attorney. So we will have to stay tuned to find out how that ends. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What a stressful time for her. For that attorney, but yeah, for that attorney, that's so stressful. It is You're stressful. On leave to give birth. And... Right, right, right. And I have to deal with this and then now have to go to a, and now having to go through a lawsuit as well, right. really just to vindicate yourself. Um, I certainly hope this ends uh, the, the right way. My daughter loves Barbies, Shauna. And so uh, when I saw this next story, I was thinking about my daughter, but Mattel, uh, who of course creates uh, Barbies, uh, mm -hmm. Mattel has launched its first ever Barbie doll with Down syndrome uh, to allow even more children to see themselves in the iconic doll. Uh, the doll with Down syndrome is part of a new and more diverse um, 2023 Barbie fashionistas line. I love that they are expanding and going and representing for all the different dimensions of diversity. That is wonderful. That is amazing. I'm I'm excited to see the dolls myself. As a you know, you just you just kind of never thought that you would see it, right? I mean, there was a point in time when people never thought that they would see, you know, some of the the dolls of color uh, and seeing them, of course, with the coveted professions because you know Barbie, you know, has right. gone to college and Barbie's become a lawyer, and now you see those representations uh, in, in all those different spaces, you know, all those different professions, etc. Um, and now we're we're making sure that even you know. Um, those individuals, you know, who are differently abled, uh, that they have um, uh, dolls that look like them and dolls that show them that, hey, 
it's okay to be you. It's okay to look like you. Uh, and that there's a doll that even reflects you. And you're beautiful. That's it. That is it. I love that. Kudos to Mattel. Dimensions of Diversity is brought to you by Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Please rate and review our podcast. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to hear all of our new content as we continue to explore ways in which we can all advance diversity and inclusion. I'm your host, Lloyd Freeman. Thank you for listening.